What up? What up? What up? What up? You are back. I was mad early, but we are back with another installment of the Poet Up Podcast. It's your boy Maul Chi, uh, representing the SPT Gorilla Click, one hundred percent Dundee. Okay, this is Jay Ward, aka Eagle Rare, aka Peach Schnapps in this piece, aka Extraordinaire, aka um, the Drake Little Dirk joining that bed. What's up, Blues? It's it's your boy Blues once again. Just happy to be here amongst all these. Monikers and great folks. You already know what this is. This is the Pulled Up Podcast. And we have today mm-hmm. the one, mm-hmm. the only, the only. Mm-hmm. straight out of them Kentucky Hills, pew, pew, pew. champion upon, upon champions of hey. poetry, got her shit up on button, went through Russ Bell was like, Nick, what? Hey. Went through Southern Fire like, Nick, what? Hey. She's here with us today. Coco Flow. Hey. Oh, oh, there yeah. Sound effects. Yeah. What's up, Co? How you feeling? What's good? It's the beautiful and illustrious Coco Flow. <laughs> Her voice is just like pure honey with this shit. <laughs> so, for those of you who know what we do here, this is the Pulled Up Podcast where we pull it up. And Coco, what are you drinking? Your coasters say Charlotte. Yes, my, my wife made them. Oh, y'all it's, fancy. It's hey, we, we always upgrading. Listen, don't tell them about all the upgrades because we're looking for sponsors. We don't want them to let them know we got a bunch of good shit over <laughs> oh, there. Oh, that's ghetto. <laughs> yeah. but ghetto. What are you drinking? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking Stella Rosa, you know, Stella Berry, you know, that good shit from Target and the, the spirit store, you know. So. Coco might be our first wine drinker. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. don't get it twisted. Uh, I like liquor, too. The brown uh, stuff. Well, we have some. I'm uh, looking at some bourbon. We have some Eagle Rare here. Jamal, what is this? Uh, it's Kentucky Bourbon. Bam, 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 bam. It is very smooth. All right. Kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only like 90 something proof. But it's. <laughs> Yo, know, I'm, I'm standing hard fast with Uncle Nearest. I refuse to drink anything else that's not black owned okay. or black made. Oh, uh, well. I mean, I'm sure somebody black probably had their hands in it. Well, yeah. well, that's black made. I mean, Just that makes it different. Like, the black person had their hands in it. Like, <laughs> Ward, what are you drinking? I'm not exactly sure. This is peach tea. This is a concoction that Toya made. And uh, I asked her for no tea. So, this is strictly peach. I don't know what that means. It's though. peach crown and uh, cranberry juice. Peach cranberry okay. juice. All right, that's fancy. I'll definitely be getting on this Eagle Rare in a second, though. All right. <laughs> so, Ward, uh, what a... Damn it, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, I generally call Jay Ward, Ward. I just call him Ward. And Jamal swore he wouldn't do it. It's just like your third time doing it? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jay Ward, what are we talking with Coco about today? Well, there's so many things we could talk to Coco about, and probably will at some point. Um, we could talk about this dope poet slam career that Coco's had. Um, but I think before we get to any of that, uh, Coco, uh, you started just here recently a nonprofit organization um, keyed on mentoring uh, young black women um, entering school. Uh, second, you know, uh, what's that called? Post-secondary. Boom. So That's why I'm the mentor. <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let's, I know. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. real. <laughs> But I've learned, so so I know Coco enough that when the shade comes, I just, you know, I just do this little move right here. Yeah, yeah. Pivot. And just keep on. Pivot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talk to us about why this is, why this is important to you 
And why specifically like this demographic? Um, so, first of all, yes, I am in the process of creating a nonprofit. I can't say the name yet because, you know, legal and shit. But um, <laughs> it was so important for me to start this because I've, I'm always so adamant about giving back and, like, um, making sure that, like, now and as I've learned all these lessons through life, as I've obtain, obtained certain things, that I make sure and go back and, like, the people from my hood or the people around me kind of have the same chance and they don't have to touch the fire the same way I did. Um, so that kind of was, like, the driving force. But um, when I was an undergraduate, there are so many things that I experienced um, being a first-generation college student um, and being away from home and, like, navigating these uh, spaces because I did go to a PWI. Um, and so I really wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity for other young black women to have mentors who look like them. Um, studies show that um, when you have someone who looks like you mentoring you, you're, you're most oftentimes able to do better. Um, and just as a personal story, like when I graduated high school, my school gave me a mentor. I don't know why. I guess they was like, poor little black girl, we're going to give her a mentor. Uh, but they gave me this white lady. And uh, the <laughs> they gave me this white lady. And the white lady took me on college visits and all these things that, like, my parents didn't know anything about. And um, I remember there was this this point whenever I was trying to de uh, decide on a school where the lady was like, oh, yeah, well, uh, it was an out-of-state school. And she was like, oh, well, you could just ask your family for the money. Um, or, yeah, yeah like. Like your family can give you some money on this. I know it's a little bit more expensive than what you were expecting, but you know, here's this thing. And I was like, yo, this white lady don't understand where I come from. She don't understand that there's not any money. She don't understand that like my, my mother is raising two children on, you know, minimum wage basically. Like, so she could, she can't understand. So she didn't understand why I couldn't take this scholarship to this out of state school or take this opportunity to this out of state school and why I wasn't going to have enough money. And so I started thinking about that and how like, there was so many things, not just that, but there were so many ways that she just couldn't relate to me. Um, and so I wanted to be able to be something relatable. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted there to be other black women who have already n navigated the collegiate space, who have already navigated, um, you know, the racism that comes on campus, the um, the lack of inclusivity, all these different things, and, like, have somebody to, like, really support you and be a support system. So that's why it was really important to me because I went through those things, and I don't want them to touch the fire in the same way that I did. Very nice. nice. What uh what what school did you go to? Undergrad. <laughs> uh, I went to Kentucky Wesleyan College. It's a little okay. small school yeah, in yeah. uh in in my hometown, Owensboro, Kentucky. Mm, boom 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 boom. The barrel boom boom. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, it's it a, a PWI. And like like I said, there was if they if even even if my school had a mentor program, there was nobody black who could have mentored me. Like I thought about what the faculty looked like. I can't remember one <laughs> black teacher. Um, the black people who went there were mostly black men who were athletes and had got scholarships to come play ball yeah. or like. Uh, yeah, to come play ball, because I don't know if there's any niggas who didn't play ball who was there. Uh, and there was, like, maybe seven black girls. Like, and so we all hung together for the most part, right. um, just because we were the only people who looked like each other. There were no uh, black fraternities or sororities. Um, so we were kind of just implemented into this white space and trying to figure out how to navigate that. How did you guys find each other? Like, <laughs> it's just seven of y'all on campus. Did you just, you know, you know when you see another black person in a room and y'all lock eyes, you'll be like, nigga, if it goes down. The <laughs> head nod thing. Right, the head nod, the, like, the, 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 the instant still. contact. Like, how does that work? That was really, that was really how it was. Uh, I remember, like, they were, uh, the ones who were there at the time that I was there, um, they were a little bit younger than me. Um, they were like, uh, a year behind me, I think, or two years behind me. Um, so I can't even think of anybody who was in my level who was who was a black oh, girl. Man. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and so they, 
I would just see them all the time. At first, I wouldn't say anything. I just do the head nods, you know, going about my business. Uh, and then one day, they was like, oh, I like your hair, right? Black girls. <laughs> hey, girl, I like your hair. And I was like, oh, thank you. They was like, well, who do hair out here in this country ass town yeah, where we is. at? Yes. I was like, oh, there's a hair store down the street. Like, yeah. my homegirls do hair. Like, I need me to hook y'all up. And then, you know, we, we kicked it after that. Like, it was really that simple. That's how uh, for my daughter, because she's at Wilmington. So it was pretty much the same thing. Like, it's like not a lot of black people. So the first thing we located was the beauty supply store. Like, all right, we know what part of town that's in and how close <laughs> it is to the school. And then uh, we found, like, the uh, the Black Student Union when we got there. And there was somebody there. And they were like, we got you. We're going to bring her. And they did, like, they, they literally, like, we're going to take care of her and make sure she got everything she needs. So, because I was worried about that. I went to a PWI, too. But there was enough black people there. And... I knew how to navigate and code switch through those worlds, so I wasn't too worried about it. But my baby girl, <laughs> she got her first sort of black history lessons when she got to UNC Wilmington. So a lot of the phone calls were like, hey, did you know that they, you know, rioted in Wilmington and took a lot of black people? I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> my baby got woke right in college. So you have no choice. At UNCW yeah. Of all yeah, of all places. I'm like, well, here we go. If she comes home with a kufi on and nothing but dashikis. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I gotta, I just gotta roll with it. Just tell her to stay away from Worcester. So you're at, you're at uh, Kentucky Wesleyan, and when is the first time you kind of? Well, when is your first experience with writing with poetry? Like, when did, when did you engage that? Writing in poetry. Writing and or poetry. Okay. Um, so I wrote like really my whole life. It was more like short stories, uh, essays, things like that. Like, and I mean essays even outside of the classroom, uh, and like writing notes to my family because I wasn't really good at expressing myself orally all the time. Mm. Um, and so I would write notes. Like, I could say what I need to say and pass it to you. You could read it, and yeah. that might open the conversation Dear up. Dad, let me tell you the <laughs> fucked up thing you did. <laughs> Nigga, stop using my toothpaste. <laughs> um, like, you know what I mean? Uh, so I would do that all the time. And then uh, when I was in college, actually, I took a poetry class. And so I, I wasn't really well-versed with, like, the spoken word style. Um, but that's how I was writing, like not even knowing, like that's really how I was writing. And I remember my professor there, he was like, uh, this is really good, but like, can you write in more traditional style? <laughs> because we don't really know what to goes. do with this. Um, so the whole concept of the class was like, you write a poem, everybody would sit around, read the poem that you wrote. You couldn't say anything. So it was up to them to interpret it and to figure it out. And you couldn't tell them like, I meant this, this metaphor meant this. You couldn't do that. And so he was like, yeah, we, we kind of don't know what to do with what you wrote. So could you like, for the sake of this class, writing this style I was like all right so I started kind of writing poetry from from that point um but I didn't really I didn't really like writing with so much structure mm. um because I wanted to just say what I wanted to say uh so I, I really you know kind of just started writing um writing back in that spoken word type style that prose style um, as opposed to that. And that was kind of like my, my first introduction um, that I can remember. Um, I did used to rap, though. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. No, no mm, this is... Mm, uh, what was your MC don't, name? Don't expect, too, don't expect too much from me. What was your first rap name? First of all, your rap name was not better than mine. But let's hear it. <laughs> I'm sure. What was you, Yellowstone yeah, or yeah. Yellow Rock? <laughs> Yellow Rock. First Either of all, one of those work. First of all, I like Yellow Rock. <laughs> Yellow, Yellow Rock is. That's kind of hard. What was your rap name? So my name was just Fizz, like you know, Jazzy Faye 
at the time was producing so much stuff back then. So they used to just call me Fizz. And so most people at home, that's how I know how you know me at what part of life. Because everybody right. home say Fizz still. <laughs> they don't really say Coco oh, or they don't shit. say Jazz. College people say Jazz. People in Charlotte and Cincinnati say Coco. But people who know me say Fizz. Underground mixtape. Uh, <laughs> Fizz got out somewhere. So there was Jazzy this collective of Fizz. guys like at home who used to rap. And we wanted, it was all men. And we wanted to be a part of it so bad. So I used to like sit in the house and be like, oh girl, I'm coming to your house because your brother's a part of it. I'm going to let him hear these raps and he gonna let me be on one of their tracks. I used to go to the studio with them at the house and stuff like because I was getting on the track. I actually do have a song. I might need to find that CD so y'all can. It was called Foreplay and I didn't even know what Foreplay was uh, at that point. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, okay. I mean, I'm just going with the flow of the rest of what y'all singing about. Is a song about y'all going golfing? Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> a concept but I'll rock My mama was it. like, really? I was like, I what I'm I'm confused about like why this is a bad song. Everybody's playing it in their speakers around the city. Mom was like, really? I'm like, then once I grew up, I understood what foreplay was. I understood why I have no business singing it. <laughs> that sounds like a cover still. Like I feel like you had to know. I you didn't. didn't know? I literally didn't. And the thing is, like the <laughs> other girls in the group, they were a little bit older than me, and one of them had a baby already, so she knew what she was talking about. Of course, and the she other did. ones were older than me, so they knew what they were talking about. But I was just like, I'm feeling your body. Like I just, was <laughs> I went with the flow of what they was going with. You know what I mean? Like I know what foreplay was. I mean, you love them or like what's good? Oh shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's great. <laughs> what, what you said about your, your professor in your classes, like not understanding uh, maybe the colloquialisms or the, the metaphors or the things that you were using because it's a PWI, it's a primarily mm -hmm. white institution. So uh, I think this loops back, right? When, when you look at how important it is for you to be able to mentor um, young black women in school um, and using writing, uh, how, do you, how do you use write your, your knowledge and your skill and experience in writing to help mentor that generation? Um, just letting them know the importance of like using writing as a tool to express yourself. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything that is shared with other people, you know, but just like the outlet of writing is, is so useful. Um, even when I'm like, you know, now I do poetry a little bit or whatever, but even when I'm not doing that, like I'm writing stuff to myself, even a, a couple short lines, it's like, all right, you know, about how I'm feeling or whatnot. And just letting them know that like writing is another way to express yourself. It doesn't always have to come out orally in words. It can be written down on paper and that's just as important important and uh, the importance of journaling like um, I think the more I got into poetry the further away from journaling I got because then I wanted to start creating something that was for the stage right and so I kind of got away from my feelings in that way but um, as far as mentoring like just letting them know that this is another outlet you can use and making sure that they're introduced to that and making sure they know that this is you know this is something that you could use to to help yourself along the way as you're navigating these collegiate spaces mm. so and I'm hearing how the, the writing is, is an expressive tool. We got to talk to Angelo last time he was here. And, of course, Angelo is the poet laureate of Rock Hill. Captain uh, Rock Hill. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Black man in the South writing and doing these poems in these spaces for these, for these white folks. <laughs> What's your first, like, fuck whitey poem that you did in college? <laughs> like, I know you had to have one. And, they, and maybe they didn't know it was like, fuck all y'all. I see you thinking about it. Come on. I didn't do one in college. You didn't? I, I didn't do one in college because I was so, like, for me, it was just like, ugh, I'm being really cognizant of this space that I'm in. It was like this holding back type thing because mm. I know what space I'm in. I don't really know what I can say. Well, I do know what I can say. Right, right, and right, I'm right, not right. going to say that. Yeah. Um, but 
So one of the things that got me into um, spoken word actually happened in Cincinnati. Um, and I had made this poem called um, Nine, Nine Trillion. And that was the, the mountain reparations that white people owe us, according to me, according to is. my calculations. <laughs> right. And, uh, numbers right, son. <laughs> Cut was, them checks. It was nine trillion. And uh, so that was really the first time that I, like, no filter, like, thought about this whole idea of, like, say what you want to say, you know, mm. when it, as it pertains to race. You know, like, I understand that this is a line that you've had to to walk because you've navigated this PWI space and you've navigated corporate America in this space with, like, white folks. But, like, yeah, it doesn't do you any justice to hold back. Let them know about, <laughs> let them know what the fuck it is because they need to know, right? And so right. that's why I'm so glad about the space that we're in as a country now in regards to, like, people just really saying what they feel and, like, giving it to white folks <laughs> exactly how it is raw. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of, that was, it came after college, kind of. So I was going to, all right, so you mentioned uh, corporate America and you're like one of the few poets who has like a real job. <laughs> like I, I've known a few, like Air they quotes. have like a, like a real fucking, like they'll match your 401k kind of job. <laughs> um, and you have this poem about being a black woman in corporate America. Like tell us where, did, where did that poem come from? Like, what is that? What was that experience of? Um, so that that poem really comes from like just my everyday existence in white space. Like even st even before I get the job, like having to think about how do I wear my hair to this interview? Mm -hmm. Like what can I put on? Like what parts of myself do I have to water down in order to go in here and get this job from these white folks? And then once I get in this space, um, how do I navigate it? Especially like especially for my current job, like I am the only black person in general, from my side or from the state of side. And because uh, <laughs> I ain't going to put them out there like that. But uh, I'm the only black person. And so I come to this space every other week and, and every day as I'm virtual sometimes. It's like navigating this space where I have to kind of like downplay myself. Mm. Um, and so that poem came from like, I'm not going to keep doing that. Like I'm going to come in here and my hairstyle is going to change probably every week. And I know y'all going to think I'm a different person, but I'm not. It's me. <laughs> it's me. Ho. Like, <laughs> like, and, and you're going to try to make me feel like I can't say what I need to say. And, um, you're going to do all these like microaggressions, have all these microaggressive behaviors. And like, you just need to know that I'm really not going to deal with it. I'm going to give you that clap back. Like, mm. and so it was for me, it was <clears throat> that poem is the moment that like, I really like, I was feeling myself, like really. And at the beginning of that poem, I talk about this situation in undergraduate school when I was getting ready to graduate. Uh, my major was information technology. And so I went through the three years that I was at Kentucky Wesleyan in this program, which was all white males. Um, there wasn't even another woman in the program at that time. So I came in this space every day with these people. And um, <laughs> I had to catch myself. Uh, I can't, I went in that space with these people like every day. And I remember we had got a new um, department chair and I went in to talk to her my senior year. And she was like, so, you know, you're going to have to work twice as hard. She was like, you know, for every dollar that the white man gets for every 75 cents that, you know, the black man gets like for you're going to get 50 cents on the dollar. You're going to get a quarter on the dollar as a black woman, you know, like like she was ha talking that type of talk. And I was like. I remember leaving that meeting and I was like, did she call me a nigga? Because that's really what it felt like <laughs> to me. Like, it was just like, I went home to my mama and was like, really? Like, she just had this conversation. But it was so eye-opening because then once I got to corporate America, I understood more what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, once I got in those spaces, I understood how, how much race and gender and 
um, how stereotypical those spaces are. Mm -hmm. So that's how that poem was birthed. Word. Yeah. So, so your, um, a, a lot of your poems, I think, point towards this, this idea of empowerment uh, for young women or for a younger version of yourself. Uh, this idea of growth and also like just monitoring some of your like social media posts like the last year, year and a half. I think this is something that you give a lot of thought to um, and, and coming out of that environment surely contributed to that. But like wh what are some other things that shaped that like coming coming to that experience and, and what you just shared with us from your professor talking to you about like the wages and everything. What are, what are some other experiences that led to you saying, you know what, in this year of our Lord, <laughs> I'm starting this nonprofit and I'm not looking back? Um, so when I thought about the girls, like, like you said, I think a lot about like the generation that's coming behind me and, and whatnot. And so when I thought about the girls who were in my hometown, who are growing up in this white town with white old money, like there's black people there. <laughs> but like just even navigating a high school space, right? You had to navigate this high school space with these white people. And now you're about to go to college. And most of them, most none of them are going to like HBCUs or anything like that. Most of them are going to like either large colleges or PWIs. Um, but either way, you have to learn to navigate that space. And I was just like, I don't want it to, I don't want there to be a situation where they have to like learn all of this stuff all over again the same way I did. And so I've always just wanted to empower I've always just wanted to give back. I've always just wanted, like, the next group of people to be better. And I think that's what we should all, as people, strive to do. And so that's really what has shaped this nonprofit. And then this coronavirus just gave me the, the opportunity to uh, have the time in a way that I haven't had it with having a full-time job and traveling and trying to do poetry. And it was like, as soon as I sat down and had that quiet time, it was like, Duh, a nonprofit. Like this is how you give back. This is how you um, make sure that there is at least a space for them. Everybody mm -hmm. won't want to be in that space. Everybody <coughs> might not want the mentor that mentorship that you're giving out, but like there will be a space for them. And that's why it's so important for me that this is exclusively for Black women. Like <clears throat> I talked to some people um, in regards to like getting funding and things like that, and they were like, "Oh, so you're going to limit this?" I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to limit this. <laughs> like, this ain't for y'all. Y'all got mentors who look like y'all all day, every day, right? Like, right, true. Y'all graduate and, and y'all go right into the career fields. Y'all don't have to have the, the connect. You know, y'all already have the connections that we don't have mm. in so many ways. And it's like, so why would I give you guys another opportunity to have something? And right. everything ain't for everybody. Like, this ain't for y'all. Preach. <laughs> so, so I mean, like, it, it, it was clear as day for me to just, like, this is the opportunity. This is the time to take the step to leap and, like, start creating something not only for now, but something that could have a legacy. Yeah. Well, I, I can say for sure, I, I my my daughters are, are past college age now, but if I had a young one going into college, I would definitely, definitely want Coco Flo to mentor them. Pew, 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 pew. But Endorsement. I want, I want, like, the real Coco Flo. Oh, thing. Ratchet and Regal. Like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, let's, let's go into it's that. cool to have all that nice stuff, but how do you cut a nigga in half? <laughs> <laughs> like, like how still sharp make, should your shank be? Right, like, and still make it to my, my history class by three. <laughs> like, that type of shit. No, that's the thing right now in this season that I've really been thinking about is like duality, right? And so 
I always say that I'm Peter Parker and I'm Spider-Man. Like I'm, you know, these two separate lives between my poetry and, and what I do as, as my career. And I, I noticed that in so many other ways, I think that exact same way. And so I'm really just embracing this whole idea that like I get to be the whole full Coco flow and I want everybody to be their whole full self. You're not just this. You're not just that. Mm. Like I just said, I twerk and pray for you. Like <laughs> I'm ratchet and regal. Like it is what it is. And so just like letting letting young girls know that like you get to be all of that. You get to be all that you are in any space. Take up space like and be you authentically. And I think because I've learned these lessons, now I can really give them back because I figured out who I am and how to be. I feel like dichotomy. when they do the WAP remix, they need to have you on it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, fit right they could just there. take the original video and cut out Kylie and then put Coco, Coco in there. Boom, and that, that would be perfect. That awkward space right, right. there that they created. But they gotta let me spit as I'm coming down. The, yeah, yeah, down yeah. The hall, because right. Kylie did zero fucking things but just <laughs> be on camera and she be annoying. And looked at the camera. Oh, like, yeah. Whose oh. fucking idea was that? And speaking I of that wonder. video, so weird. Like speaking of that video, uh, I was so proud of them for the, the video. But I'm also glad that all the conversations that's coming up from it in regards to like this respectability politics <clears> of women, and because my whole like existence as a black woman and and my whole like passion and purpose to empower and support in both my poetry and in my nonprofit and in my existence like just thinking about um that whole thing and how it's created conversations for women to just be who they are people are going to talk if you twerk people's going to talk if you sing in the gospel song people's going to talk <laughs> regardless so like mm. just be you and so that's something that i really admire about both megan and cardi and this video was like they were authentically themselves right. and they sparked that dialogue to say like we're going to do what we want to you can think what you want but we still going to do it Here's yeah. here's here was here's my problem with this whole thing, because you know I always have a problem with something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out. We get this amazing video, right? Visuals, all the titillation. Did I say that right? T yes. 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 All that. All the sensories. Titillation. And the whole thing is edited. Like, why <laughs> what, didn't make it? Why did we edit the fucking lyrics? And Cardi B's titties are out. Like they are out. They're there. They're, They're there. there. And then I get this wedding gushy. I'm like, wedding gushy. <laughs> that does not WAP for me. Right. I was I was so blown away. Like I was I was all for it. Like I love the video. I love the song. I just couldn't understand why we got an edited version for this video. It didn't match up for me. So my thing was, what did they, what did they bargain? Like, did they have to bargain something? Like, mm. in order to get this video out, you can't have this. Like, mm -hmm. did they compromise? What did they compromise to get to that point? But I mean, you're right, all the conversations are great. It was just that part that bothered the shit out of me. Because like, I want, like you said, the full authentic, give me everything. I under. When I saw WAP, I was like, what does that mean? And when I saw the video, three seconds in, I knew what WAP <laughs> meant. I'm like, all right, I know what that means. So I, I'm like, yo, if we're going to let these ladies be who they are, why did we have to get this edited version of the song? Well, so devil's advocate on that, right? The, the, the conversations are so important. An unedited version of that song and video probably wouldn't get aired. Like you, you would have to go through underground means like you did back in the day with YouTube. Two Live Crew. Bring well, back YouTube, sure, but you know, if if you uncut. really want the conversations to be apex, then if you can mainstream it and still keep the message and still keep the conversation about it, 
then I think it reaches. I think it has more impact. I think it reaches more people. Have y'all heard the song on radio yet? <laughs> the edited version. I have not. I have not. You're not going to. <laughs> oh, the edited version is not on. on no, radio? this oh. shit is still too ratchet. That's why I'm like. Fuck it. What, yeah, what's the point? If, what if, is the if, point? If it's not going to get radio play. I mean, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll take that back. There's probably a few stations in a few cities who are progressive enough to play that edited version. But you, you're not going to hear that shit on 98. You're not going to hear that <laughs> shit in the Bible Belt of Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I, I, I get it. It's like you. there's a version that, that can, if you have that version, it can exist somewhere outside of just being on YouTube. So maybe there's a... I still don't even see like a, te- you know how television shows a play rap song? <laughs> There's not a show on TV that'll be like. <laughs> they'll play uh, the beat. <laughs> they'll play the beat, yeah. yeah. That was interesting Maybe you insecure. said, Blues, because you said, um, you, you were saying like, I wonder what they had to get give up to get certain things or for that position. And it just made me think about like women in general, like how important. People in general, like the sacrifice, right? So sometimes you got to give a little here to be able to get this. And like, had we not given up, uh, had they not given up, like given an edited version, like Jay was saying, like what what doors would they have been shut out of? Like maybe they just wanted, you know, to be progressive and be able to see the video. Like we just want people to see this video, even if we got to say wet and gushy, right? right. Like, and, and I think YouTube has its own like uh, whatever it's called, like decency laws or whatever. Like YouTube doesn't play everything. They don't. No, they don't. <laughs> I'm telling you, they don't play everything. I'm telling you right now, I can go watch some BET Uncut videos on YouTube. <laughs> and it's, but, but, I mean, that's part of the conversation, too. Like, BET Uncut was cable television, and you got basically uh, uh, the wet-ass pussy. Can we say that on, on our podcast? I don't. Sure. Why I not? feel like it feels weird now, now that. Anyway, so you would get <laughs> In that. Fact, Jamal, you should name it episode 12. Wet ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but you had you had all those things that existed on BET, right? And the tip drill and all those weird ass videos. But some of them were hilarious. I ain't gonna lie. Some of them were very hilarious. Like, like the, uh, <laughs> uh, it was this one song where my man used uh, Curtis Blow's White Lines. Yeah, Casey the Great. Yeah, white girls. White girls. White <laughs> girls. Don't tell Minister Farrakhan. <laughs> we don't want to know what's going on. We're white girls. This shit was so it was funny. Terrible. It was so, and it was terrible. It but was terrible. BET played it. And I'm wondering if BET Uncut exists, do they play that version of Wet and Gushy? Like, and if they play it, do these ladies still get the same scrutiny? Like, mm. it's just funny to see how everybody's overreacting when y'all know y'all were up two in the morning Tip waiting you for me to uncut to come after, on. After Comic View, you was waiting for you it. You was waiting for it. <laughs> Nasty asses. <laughs> well, that, that, that line has always been hypocritical anyway. Like, that's always been a double standard. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So what would Fizz, like, what would Fizz say about all that? Fizz would be First on. Fizz, would, Fizz would be on WAP, but not knowing. Exactly. Exactly. Know they, they, they would have invited me, and I would have been like, "What is this?" I thought they were doing the old school dance. I thought it was. Yeah, you would have had to figure out what WAP meant because you know, Fizz didn't know what foreplay was at first. I'm like, what's foreplay again? All right, I I think I got it. Y'all got to keep me up to speed. She comes back to the group. My mom said I can't be on your record anymore. Hey, that was the church kid in me. Like, Oh, yeah. another church kid. So <laughs> shouts out to shouts out to Coco Flo for being a church kid. When at what point, like, cause we talked to Angelo and Angelo was like, <laughs> he discovered his 
his secular side before he got out of high school. Were you still very like in the church by the time you graduated or was there a part of you that was itching to discover what else you could do outside of the church stuff? Uh, I was still very much in the church after I graduated, but I was, <laughs> I was the person who's trying to find the line. Like, all right, God, how far can I go <laughs> before I'm out of your will? Like, like, what's that line look like? Like you don't explicitly say don't do this, but like, I teeter on the line a little bit. You're going to be all right with that. You are like, a habitual line stepper. Yeah. Right. That's the gray area. So I was trying to do that, but I was like, all right, cool, boom. Uh, <laughs> but I think now is probably, like, now as an adult is the, I don't worry about that anymore as much. Mm -hmm. Like, I just say what I'm going to say. Which, side note, I went home for Thanksgiving last year, and my pastor was like, ooh, can you do a poem? And I was like, you first of all, I didn't know you know I was a poet. Have you seen YouTube? Please tell me you have. Because you hear me talk, calling all these people niggas. Mm -hmm. like, Ain't it awkward, like, when your church people want you to do poems? Yes. Like, because first you're like, yeah, and then you're like, oh crap, when, like, what can I do? Say? I <laughs> so I couldn't do anything. She was like, well, write something while, while we do the message. You could do it after the message. We'll get, she was like, Jasmine, you got anything? I was like, sister, uh, God didn't give me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, one time I got asked, um, and this is what's on topic. One time, <laughs> does this involve I, a switchblade? No, it okay. does not. <laughs> so I got asked to do a poem for our men's day, uh, Father's Day program at church, right? Uh -oh. I ain't had no poems. Guess what poem I did? The stalker poem. No. Oh. No, please don't. I did Joseph. Poem. I read, I was like, this is a poem by my friend Blues, <laughs> and it's called Joseph. How and did you already have it? He, I mean, he had already re released it, so I had one of his CDs, and I <laughs> you said. You played the CD? No, 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 no. I, I oh, you listened wrote to it, it I and wrote it, it down it. and read it. Oh, wow. How much did you get paid? <laughs> oh, we want retro reparations now. Right. Oh, nigga, I want my 65%. <laughs> I didn't get paid anything. Uh, but that sounds, was that like, sounds accurate for black church, though. <laughs> right. Everybody That's, was like, it was a love offering. That was a great poem. Your friend Blues is talented. I was like, mm, yeah. what about me? I just gave it life. <laughs> You didn't know nothing about what? it until I told you about it. I, I put you on fire. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, I, sorry. Yeah. You know what? Because I was, I was a, a bit of a church kid. Like my dad was, <laughs> my dad went to church Wednesdays, Sundays, and Saturdays. All that. It was all that. And by the time I'm a senior in high school, I'm hanging out past one. You know, coming home maybe like one thirty in the morning. My dad's. My dad's letting me do it because he knows Sunday morning he's in my fucking face. Like you was out all night. Guess where we going? Church. Church. And my hard ass eye roll. I'm like, oh, my God. Get out of my. And I, and I did it out of respect. But I knew at some point, like when I move out of the house, I was like, I'm never going to go back to church again. Uh, you know, because it was the defiance. Man, I think my second semester of college, I was looking for a church. Like, I just, <laughs> I need some structure because right. I was wilding. <laughs> I was wilding. But I I didn't start doing, I didn't start, my craft didn't get introduced to church stuff till like, well after college. Like, where people, my first church experience with doing what I do was with Elevation Church. Oh. Before Elevation is elevation. elevation. Like, it's. They're in that church that's uptown uh, across the street from whatever. It's like a big church uptown. Anyway, so they're in there, and I do this poem, and I was like, this is really cool. Like, it was fun to do that, to, to sort of give the gift back. Um, but, there, you know, there's always the other side that's very 
satisfying to the flesh. <laughs> so, like, do you have poems that are really in celebration of God in heaven and faith? Because nope. I've never, that's what I was about to say, I've never heard you do any of those. Funny thing is I sit at home and I'd be like, I should write a poem for God. And I'd be like, it'd be going the whole other way. <laughs> it don't really go like, a, like I say God's name, but like. <laughs> but you, you, got, you got pretty close on that group piece though. But it wasn't. Oh yeah. yeah! Don't mean, don't no, mean. No, no, not that, that one. one. I'm talking about uh, uh, which one? Breeze's joint. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm that talking was about. a heathen anthem. <laughs> no, it was. What do you mean? Which one? Storms or storms? storms. Oh, okay. I was thinking. Um, <laughs> what heathen anthem you are you talking about? <laughs> Fuck fear. About. Oh <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about storms. I'm talking about storms. Fuck fear is is close to a heathen. It's, it's heathenish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like. Yeah, we gotta talk to Breeze about yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gotta bring Breeze in on one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's switch up. So I assume you you I'm started. Assuming. I know, but I like making asses out of myself. Okay, <laughs> you don't um, know how to pivot. <laughs> yeah, no. Um. All right. So college was when you started performing. Um, graduate school. Okay, so uh, when I moved to Cincinnati, um. I had went to church. Oh, matter of fact, I had went to church and I saw they had this um, poet there and she was doing, you know, she was doing a poem and I was like, oh, guess what? The church I went to, they got poets. And so I was real hype and I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I should start writing again. Um, and so that's when I wrote that nine trillion poem. And um, I think I put it on YouTube, maybe. And the same poet lady who was at that church, she reached out. She was like, do you want to do my show? Um, this was like November. She was like, do you want to do my show in February? And I was like, girl, no, I'm not no poet like that. Like I just be writing some shit sometimes, but I don't be like saying it in front of people. Um, and so she was like, no, just go to some open mics and stuff around the city. Like here's some names. And, uh, and so in December of 2015, I think, um, I went to an open mic and I, I was like real shy and I was like, can I get on the mic? And she was like, yeah. And I got up there and I did a poem and uh, I've been running ever since, like literally. So I f sometimes I'd be like, I literally just fell into this. Like, because by the time I did the same night I did that um, open mic, somebody asked me to be in their slam and somebody else asked me to feature. And I'm like, that was my first time on the mic. Y'all niggas didn't hear me just say that. Like now y'all want me to do stuff. LeBron James. <laughs> shit out of that. So when you hit the mic that first time, who did you go as? Who were you? Uh, I was Jasmine. <laughs> I was just Jasmine. And then that same poet, she was, I was like, I need a name. Like, everybody else had cute names. I don't want to just be Jasmine. And she was like, Coco. Ah, so Coco Flow. And I was like, yo, I love it because I look like a Coco. Nice. Oh. So name origins. Yeah. Like Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of what you do, particularly when it comes to your gifts, I feel like a lot of what you do is is because you felt called to it in that moment. Um, so in that lane, you just told us kind of like the birth of Coco Flow. Tell us like one of your greatest slam or performance moments, and then tell us what it would take to call you back because you've kind of stepped away from like slam and performance for a while. So what would it take for you to come back to that? Let's see. I got two, so I'm going to tell y'all both of them. Yep. So, um, one of the greatest moments in slam that I've had so far um, was recently um, at the Leaf. Mm -hmm. um, 
festival, um, their slam that they do. And I done my poem, Olivia Benson, which is really special to me because it talks about sexual assault and my experience with that um, and advocacy. And so I did that poem and these women came up to me afterwards and they were just in tears. And it reminded me of how important it is for me to speak my truth and give that back. Um, and so it was just one of those moments where it was like, this is what you're supposed to be doing in every way. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the stage. Like, this is what life is about, yeah. giving it back so somebody else can grow and move forward. So that was probably one of them. And then the other one was... Uh, <clears throat> The other one was Southern Fried uh, with Slam Charlotte um, because this was my first experience of having a team, and I'm such a lone wolf most of the time that I just beat to myself. And so um, it was the final stage, even though we was pissed about some shit, but it was the final stage at Southern Fried and just knowing that I, like, had these four men behind me who would back me up regardless. If I drop a line, they're going to pick it up. If I stutter, they're going to pick it up. Even off the stage, like, if I'm not being my best authentic self, they're going to call me on it. They're going to protect me and so like that moment of us doing that doing uh, oh, what was the race card um doing race card at southern fried was like full circle for me um like a full circle lovely moment just to have these men behind me to protect me to stand with me um and to lift me up in this moment and not like knowing that this is the last well we didn't know we was doing rust belt well i didn't know i don't think we knew at that time we were going to do rust belt right uh but it was just like, this is the last time that we're going to be together because there's no nationals. And it's like, this is our last moment together. And I've enjoyed being on this team with them. So those are like the two really big defining moments for me that I just think about the team experience and then the experience at LEAF um, with, you know, women. And that just goes, once again, further proves the point of like this passion that I have for empowering and supporting women um, in general. And just for the listeners out there, Leaf is the Lake Eden Arts Festival held outside of Asheville, North Carolina. It's the that. hippie fest in the <laughs> mountains. <laughs> yeah, like so, I didn't know where Leaf was or what it was. And so they were like, you going to do Leaf? And I'm like, whatever that is. And me and Breeze get to driving and I realize it's the mountains. I'm like, nigga, where do you got me at? <laughs> like. <laughs> Where are we at? Like, nah, this this is not cool. But it was a good experience. That's how it was my first leave. I was like, all right. And all the white people. Yeah, I've never been. Like, but the white people who like rock with poets, like rock mm -hmm. with uh, spoken word. I learned that they're like a lot of them are you know super liberal, but a lot of them are pretty rich. Like mm. they got money. Yeah. So. It's just a weekend getaway for them. <laughs> Dance for us. Money. And they come back every year. Yeah. So it's like like this big event for them. And, yeah. and then they have like favorites because they come back every year. Mm -hmm. So they see different people. But, that's a, but they're very honest people, especially when it comes to the poetry. So that's yeah. no surprise that they walk up to you in tears. I remember Fillmore did a poem and he made a reference to Israel or something. And like this Jewish guy came up and challenged him at the end of his like, <laughs> like he... Fillmore wasn't halfway off the stage. He's like, I want to talk to you about a line. Oh, man. <laughs> Fillmore's like, I was just, like, I just want, <laughs> I was just doing a poem. I didn't know. So, like, they don't just listen. They're like, yo. They're invested. Yeah, they are, oh. they are invested into what you say. So, if you come up there with some bullshit, don't think it's just going to slide off. You're going to have to fight a motherfucker at the end of it. <laughs> so, like, the noon slam, it was packed you know, pretty much. But when I came that night and they were like sitting on the floor, crisscross, yeah. and like mm -hmm. packed like sardines in there. I'm like, for poetry? Maybe in there. Like that's, cr white people for spoken word like that's this? Dope. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was a good experience for that reason. I can understand why people might not want to, uh, might, might, might not want to perform in those spaces. <laughs> like, you know, but like, 
I think I once you get it. in there and do your poems, you'll find out like they're they're just there to be receptive to the art. And, you know, they spend some bread in that, do. In that, in that piece. Um, but this is all like pre-COVID because I'm sitting here thinking about it yeah, now. That's all, yeah, that's all. I was like, it's all pre-COVID. So what, what, have you, what has your COVID pivot been looking like? And that, I was just about to say, I didn't answer the second part of um, Jay's question. Um, so my COVID, I'm going to answer it all together. But I really haven't been doing much poetry since COVID hit. The last thing that I did was uh, Wowps out in Dallas. Um, shout out to Candy. Hey. And uh, that was, all right, I'm going to be real candid with y'all. Candid or Candy? <laughs> <laughs> we need to have Candy on the show. <laughs> that was, oh, that'd be good. Um, that was a crazy experience for me because since I've been in poetry, I can count on probably two fingers the number of times that I haven't made it to a final round. Mm. And so WAPS was the first time that I didn't. Um, on, and that's not just on like regional and national stages, that's across the board in my poetry career. Um, so that was hard for me because I'm so used to being in the finals. I might not win, but I'm gonna be up there on the finals, right? right? And so that was the first time that I wasn't. And so um, I was really upset about that, especially cause I, I worked so hard with Jay with writing and like getting things together. Um, but I got to see the other side of slam, which is when you go in and you give everything you got and the judges just don't give you the score that time, mm. which I hadn't mm. been privy to mm. in the same way that most other people had. Mm -hmm. cause you know, everybody loves Coco. So there's that. And um, so that was hard for me. And so I was like, I stepped away and I realized, like, I don't like the way I reacted to losing. Mm. I didn't like that about <laughs> about myself. I didn't like that. You know, it's one thing to like feel down and end up jump out of it and going about your business. But I didn't jump out of it. I held on to it. And I was really upset. And I was like, OK, now this slam, this competition aspect is is getting too real, like for because you feel like that. So I said, I'll take a step back and I'll kind of just chill and take a break. Um, because since I had started poetry in Cincinnati, I've literally been running. Like I told y'all out the gate, I got a feature out the gate. Somebody asked me to slam and it just, it, it just kept going and going and going. And so every time I say I would take a break, somebody would be like, Oh, can you do this? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. You know? And so I never really took a break. So this year was the first time that I got a break from poetry where I really didn't do anything. Mm. Um, and I've appreciated it so much. And so many things about myself have been revealed and so many things are being birthed in regards to, like I said, now I'm writing a book, uh, inspirational memoir, and now I'm starting this nonprofit and I'm seeing all these other aspects of myself um, that had I not sat still long enough, probably would have just been, you know, fleeting thoughts, thoughts mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of what the COVID pivot has been. Um, haven't really done any virtual. I haven't done any virtual slams or anything. Um, I did do the WAPS interviews, uh, the WAPS features with Candy. Um, I just did. Um, I just did somebody's like, uh, oh, Cincinnati's um, open mic. I just did that Thursday, um, and I I sacked for somebody's for uh, Lipstick Wars. I sacked for Lipstick Wars out of Louisville, and that's all I've done. <laughs> That's what's up. And now chilling. she's on the Poet Up podcast. Right. Still moving. Fellas, what's what's your worst reaction to a loss? Like, hmm. I have so many losses. <clears throat> That's real self deprecating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a fucked up way to start that sentence, bro. <laughs> no, uh, for me, like, I'm super competitive anyway. Because, mm. like, I grew up playing sports. So, like, I really hate losing to y'all all the time. I mean, I know you don't slam anymore, Blues. But when you did, 
I hated losing to y'all. Um, I think my worst reaction was probably like 07, 08. So like when y'all were going back to back, was that 05? Back to 07, back. 08. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So prior to that, I didn't feel like I was good enough to be on the team. Mm-hmm. But around that time, I felt like I was like, I should be able to, like, I might not win all the time, but I should be able to win. Right. Like once or twice. Like I should be right. able to get in there. And um, I can't remember the slam, but like I did really well. Mm-hmm. Like, and I felt like, I felt like I should have won. Mm-hmm. And after that, I stopped slamming for like two years. <laughs> It'd be like that. Where's that? I was like, man, fuck slam, fuck slam Charlotte, fuck Charlotte in general, fuck niggas, fuck bitches, get money. Like, I, like oh. yo, I was, I was like, I was like, and then I had to, I had to catch myself, like, settle down, <laughs> like, it's man, a slam. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So after that, I was like, I don't really care anymore. Yeah, I don't have. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty tempered when it comes to losing. Um, no, I am. But I would I, I think I think my worst reaction to a loss. You know what? Actually, I was a pretty sore loser at Southern Fried. Actually, this la- the last Southern Fried, the one you're talking about in in Fayetteville. I was actually a pretty sore loser that year. I was. I, there's a picture of me. <laughs> there's a picture of me holding the third place trophy. Like, uh-huh. Upset <laughs> as fuck. Upset as fuck, bro. Upset as hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes with that. I, outside of that, I would say I whips at Spok- in Spokane. I wasn't mad at anybody. I was just disappointed with myself because, like, my very first year at I whips in 2015, I placed 14th. But that was before they took 14 the final stage. So I, <laughs> so they took 12, and then I was like the sorbet poet. But, but the next year the next year in Flagstaff, I think I placed like 22nd or something. And then the next year in Spokane, I placed like 45th or 46th. Oh, and, and I had better poems than I had either of those previous two years. And I was, I was just like, what is this? And, and, and I thought about... I thought about retiring then, <laughs> but but as far as sore loser, Southern Southern Fried in Fayetteville, I was I was definitely a little sore loser. That can See? I can I go back real quick? I was kind of upset that we didn't win group finals in Oakland. Yeah, that was fucked up. I like we. I feel I feel like we should have. We would have won, but I also fucked up a poem with Ed. But that's not why we lost. But. Yeah, we should have. We should have won that I, one. Yeah, I, I was pretty upset, but that was my first time, first mm-hmm. experience. But I, 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 like, I felt like we should have won, mm-hmm. and we didn't. And it was like, but we were better than everybody. <laughs> like, see, my thing was like, I knew I had worked with Jay on poems. I knew we had edited. Like, I knew I had Powerhouse poems in my in my pocket. I was like, I'm going out to Dallas, and I'm finna kill everything moving. My bouts look pretty. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? And like. And I got in the room and 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 the poem that I did that took me under really from getting from getting to final stage. Um, everybody in the room was cheering. The poets loved it. Somebody cried. Like and so it was just like I killed that shit. And then to get like three, I think, or four, and, and it was, was like, like exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's been waiting to push that button. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me a reason. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. Blues. What was yours? 
It was perfect timing. I have several. Like, I think the worst one <laughs> was Austin first year. So what happened was it was the first year they had this whole to break a tie was a hand-raising rule. So we huh? were in about, you know, literally, the, in order to break a tie, the judges had to kind of raise their mm. hand. They didn't give a score. They just raised their hand. Mm. Um, so we were in about with, uh, I think they were DC Baltimore at the time. It was Twain and uh, I forgot the other guy's name, some other folks. But it was we had Swan and Mays and it's me. I feel like Sims was on the team. Anyway, Swan and Mays do this amazing group piece. Like Swan singing, Mays is doing his Mays thing. Just the dopest fucking poem. And then Twain does a, a poem about ice cubes and an ice box. It's, you know, it's... it's we're cool. It's, it's one of the. It's, it's a funny poem. Did I think it was better than our shit? Hell no, not by a long shot. I still say that to this day. I'll say that to his face. It was not. So the judges felt like it was. May and when I say Amazing Swan did something fucking amazing, it was transcendent. And I I know them. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that because I know them. I was like that shit yeah, yeah. was fucking amazing because they were in a space where they knew they had to perform. So judges uh, like the other poem. Like it was like three to two. So. You know me in a space where I lose in front of people. I am very, it's a great job, right? It's good. On that walk back to the hotel, <laughs> nigga, I cussed everybody out. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Mother, and, and Kara's like, yo, you need to be quiet. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm in the hotel. We're in a, in a room, like just one of the ballrooms. I'm in there going the fuck off. I'm like, yo, this shit is fucking stupid. This is the dumbest goddamn rule I've ever heard of. And when we get into the Slam Masters meeting tomorrow, I'll be like, change all this fucking shit. I was heated. Um, that was the worst. I don't think too many people saw it, but it was like, when I, when I think back about it now, I was like, man, I was terrible. And I didn't give a fuck who heard me. I was like. The, the I other was side like, of that Gemini came out. Mm. Listen, I was I was berating the DC Baltimore team. <laughs> like a bunch of like, yo, they're all fucking terrible. And they're not, they're not terrible. They're amazing poets. They were amazing poets. But in that moment, fuck them. <laughs> they weren't better than us. But, be like us sometimes. Yeah. But most most of my losses are like a hard eye roll. Like, ugh, here we go. Because I've seen it before, like you can tell when a poet's going to do some poem and the judges love it. And you're like, what the fuck was that? And yeah. you're like, here we go. You see it coming. And then you're just like, oh, I'm just going to get up here and do the best I can because I know <laughs> you're going to fuck me in the end. And you, <laughs> you just keep going. But yeah, that, that year, I was out of control. It was bad. It was bad. All right, question. This is the reverse of that. The reverse of that. And Coco, you, 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 you said this moment. Uh, you said two of these moments, but I want you to think of another one while, while we talk about this. So, so opposite of that, like what are some of your, or what is one of your best moments? Like Coco was talking about someone coming up to, to her after a slam um, and just completely validating like her whole existence, right? Like what's some of your, what's one of, one of your best moments in slam? Hmm. For me, it's probably, I probably have two. One, I want to respect the Mike Slam at, hey. at uh, Wine Up one time. Um, so, and that that's the only time I want to slam. <laughs> but it counts because it was at Wine Up. Yeah. And it's respect the Mike. Um, and then two, so me and Carlos. So, Slam Charlotte in 
I guess June and July or July. This has to do with him jumping the white boy that beat him in a, in a rap battle back in 92. All right, go ahead. No. No. <laughs> so. What? <laughs> no. Uh, so it, there's this story. I went to a, uh, it was a freestyle battle hosted by a DJ DR and another DJ in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And me and some of my college roommates got high and decided we were going to go and battle, and I did terribly. But anyway, that's not what I was talking about. So, um, <laughs> so Slam Charlotte, what what were the slams called? Like in like when it was off season. Um, so it was like anything slam, like so, like it was like yeah, we just made up random random room so for June and July, we made up random rooms. So one time, me and Carlos Robeson, um, for one of the rounds, we went up there. And just mimicked everybody that was on the scene at the time. That shit was great. <laughs> so, so, like, I mean, we mimicked everybody. Blues, Maze, Fillmore, uh, everybody, everybody. Queen Sheba. Like, and it was uh, fucking hilarious. And it was the greatest time I've ever had in the slam. That's dope. <laughs> Side note, I got to tell y'all about when I first moved to Charlotte. I lived here for four days. I went to an op- uh, open mic, and Jamal was there. And he did oh, his stalker poem. Wait a minute, wait a Did he look at you while he was doing the stalker poem? <laughs> yes, and I was, yes. I, it took oh, me a long yes. time to talk to Jamal after that. <laughs> I I would be so standoffish <laughs> with him because I'd be like, I just moved here four days ago, and this nigga's like this in this city. Yeah. I ain't never been to Charlotte. This nigga's stalking. Because it's so realistic, like, right? Yeah. It looks so I was realistic. Terrified. Niggas in this city is real aggressive with it. I know at least three people. I know at least three women that if I asked them, like, what was your worst slam experience? <laughs> it would be, it would be, man, this black dude, bald black dude, did, did a poem. stalker poem and was looking directly at me. But if I don't look at somebody, like Child. that's that's what makes it so I was like, listen, get me out of here. Like I remember I told Lovely, I was like, Lovely, oh. is he like that for real? And she's the one who told him to she, do it. Yes. Lovely is the one she was like, do the stalker poem, and this is my friend Coco from Cincinnati. Do it to her. And I was like, I oh, don't know. Oh, she told her. you to do it to her? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I was yeah, like, I don't hilarious. know her. I don't know her like that's that. Like terrified. Lovely. But I did it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so mine is uh, mine is winning in 2019. I hope so. uh, no, it's not. It's, that's not it. It's, oh, I, I I have two favorites. <laughs> is that is that? Uh, no, no, no. That's well, the air horns. Okay, right, flex, but okay. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Breeze. Um, in 2000, in 2018, was one of my favorite moments because uh, I went like horribly overtime on purpose on well I didn't start off on purpose to go overtime on this poem but once I once I realized my team was flagging me everybody in the crowd was flagging me but I was like somewhere else with this poem and it was the first time I think I can ever say that I got free on the stage like I like anything else that happened wasn't mattering to me I was floating I was in the space of this poem and it's one of the only times that that's ever actually happened to me because I'm way too controlled to to let something like that happen so that felt really good me too yeah and then, uh, very similar to your experience, Coco. So I had a poem that I retired shortly after this. But in 2015, I had this poem that was uh, kind of originally inspired by Emma Sokowitz, uh, who was a, a student on the campus of, now I forget the university. What was it? 
was it the University of Minnesota? It wasn't no, Minnesota. No. It was one of the Ivy League schools, I think. Oh yes, yes it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. She she uh, she in 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 protest, and I think it was like her art assignment, or the art assignment that she made up. She, she carried around the mattress that she was raped on. Um, but that that got me going on this whole other line. I wrote this poem that was basically like about rape culture and hip hop, and from the standpoint of a father uh, with daughters. Um, mm. kind of un- trying to understand this rape culture and trying to understand that this can happen to my daughter and like that whole thing. That's what the poem was about. Uh, and I did that poem in 2015 in DC. And after that, after that, I'm standing, and I'm talking to my family who came to, to watch. And you know, this, this young white girl probably in her twenties is standing, waiting politely to talk to me. So, you know, I, 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 you know, put things on pause with my family and say, you know, how you doing? And she was like, um, she hasn't talked to her father in years. He won't talk to her. Um, and, and she wouldn't say anything else. And I was like, can I hug you? And she was like, I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to be weird. We embraced for like a solid minute. And she told me some stuff in my ear that I won't repeat cause it's her story. But the fact that like the idea that my words could work towards healing that part of her was the dopest thing. And and this is, I I firmly believe that some things are for a season. I retired that poem the following year. I retired that poem because it was, I rarely got beat with that poem, but I went to Flagstaff the following year and I won a round in Flagstaff against two survivors who did their poems and I wasn't infringing on the survivor story. I was telling my own story. But the yeah. fact that I was telling a, a story that was parallel to that, I just didn't feel comfortable. I just didn't feel comfortable using that poem in competition anymore. That was my personal decision. Nobody, nobody said anything to me about it. But I don't regret doing the poem mm-hmm. for that one young woman. Yeah. I don't regret doing that poem at all. That poem needed to exist for the season that it existed. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's fine. Blues. <laughs> well, after that heavy shit. <laughs> I was about to say. Like, what the fuck? Was, what the fuck am I supposed to say? Um, I don't know. I've got, you know, I've got a few. Um, I, because there's always, there's moments where, you know, you have a poem that you do. Like, I had this poem that I used to do called, uh, I think it was called Babel or something. It's just about my daughter, uh, my oldest, when she was young. She would just make a lot of noise and, the joy of being able to hear her make noise and what that sounds like. And, you know, when people pass away, you kind of forget what they sound like. So I did that poem at a leaf and like three fathers came up to me crying because they had lost children, had no idea what the fuck to do with that information. So I was like, that was a a reminder of why I do what I do. Um, But another, I guess, good moment was, was a leaf again, but this time Justin Blackburn, told me early in the day he said you know if you've ever met justin justin is an authentic person yes. Yeah. so yes, he is. for sure it, it's it's who he is when he is and that's what you're getting so he tells me listen you're gonna win this whole thing and you know he says it in his very <laughs> dream yeah. you're gonna win this whole thing and i'm like you know all right justin you're just fucking being weird now <laughs> sure as shit that night came up and i fucking won and he's looking at me like 
<laughs> I told you. He's like, I told you. I was, like, cut, I was like, yo, man, dude, let's go to the fucking track and <laughs> pick some horses. <laughs> um, but I, I also think the first time we won Nats, Nats uh, in Austin, so we had to come back to Austin the second year after I, you know, my tirade. <laughs> um, but it was it was the moment that we knew we won before it was over. So uh, I think we went first that round and we were waiting for uh, the new Eurekan to go because they were the closest to us. And I think they were third. And when they didn't get the score, me and Kira in the back, like losing our fucking mind. Like <laughs> we won, we won, but we weren't, we weren't, we weren't right, all right, out with it. But right. I think it was, it was that part was crazy. And then to do it again in Madison. And I, I want to say in Kira said, we, we won this shit again. She said something to that effect. <laughs> and I the, the cool thing was we were doing poems that, you know, the first year we did all group pieces. So they were, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, they went through with all group pieces. And the second year we mixed it up. But the second year we were doing shit that nobody was doing. We were doing poems that weren't necessarily pro-black. We did uh, May, a Swan and Mike did this poem. I still think it's the greatest poem ever. How to Fall in Love Like White People. It was a group piece. <laughs> this shit is so fucking funny because at some point they hold hands and they're swinging their hands. <laughs> like, we want to fall in love like this and they're swinging their hands while they're doing the poem. This shit is funny. And then uh, Meta Girl was the group piece. So... Mm. Um, picture Jamal Stocker poem as a group piece. Oh. And it's me. It's, I was about to say blue, you, you, Mike and Carlos. Yeah. Me, Mike and Carlos. And the poem, there's no, there's no turn back. There's no redemption. There's no moral to the story. It fucking goes and it stays gone. And we, we, we bust out a perfect 30. And I think this is, this is the season where you can do weird shit and experimental shit. And it doesn't cost you in a slam. Like, Nowadays, most slams are, it's either some political standpoint, very introspective, very serious, nothing funny, rarely about love, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's one much. of those things. There's something traumatic. Yeah. Like, it's got to be traumatic. So I, I won't call us the golden era because there was a lot of problematic shit that did happen. But you could experiment with shit and win with it in, in those seasons. And so that was a very experimental uh, poem. It was funny as shit. Like, everybody fucking loved it. Like... From from start to finish, it was just off the off the off the rails. But that was like one of those moments to see something that, as a black poet, that was not a black poem. There was mm. nothing about mm. being black in that poem, uh, other than probably the the and you and you're gonna love me part. That part is the most blackest part of that poem. <laughs> but other than that, it's all just someone's imagination, someone's daring to do something. Uh, which made that super fun. I mean, there's plenty of moments that have been really great and triumphant, but I think when we sit back and focus on poetic moments for ourselves that were very true to ourselves, that didn't fit the stereotype or the mold of what someone else placed on right. us, right? That didn't have mm -hmm. to fit into, you know, you did a poem about a survivor and that's where you are now and that's every poem that has right. to be. And that shit doesn't have to exist in that. So when you can do a poem like that and be successful and someone else see you in that moment, in that moment of being wherever you were when you wrote that poem, like that's the coolest thing. Because, you know, we've all written a poem that we're like, no one's gonna get this shit. Stalker poem. Right. No one's That's what I thought about that. <laughs> right. But you know what? People people relate to so I, I wrote it from 
conversations I would have with some of my coworkers mm-hmm. and some of the like dates and different stuff. Yep. So <laughs> I took it to the extreme, <laughs> but I found that people relate to it because it's so over the top, but so like regular Re- ass shit. It's realistic. Yeah. Like, that reminds. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. No. 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 That I, reminds me. I really want you to write that poem about. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm Michael talking about. Pinalingus? No. <laughs> she is definitely trying to get to <laughs> no micropenalingus. No. <laughs> no. The 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 stuff that the dumb stuff that guys be saying. Oh to you. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna write that because I wanted it to be a um. So I took all of these messages that I got from guys and I like laid them all out. Like I put them all in the same note and I wanted to make a uh, was it a found poem? Yeah, I think I wanted to make a found poem out of it, but I didn't know if it would translate the same way. It wouldn't translate in a way spoken that it would on a page. Yeah. So I just left that idea there. But you're right. I do need to write that because niggas be saying some wild shit. All right, um, give us one example of something wild something somebody said, and give us one of your best slam experiences, and tell us what it takes to get you back to slam. Um, <laughs> dang. Jay Ward with pew, all of pew, those pew, questions. Pew. I'm, I, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told you two of my best slam moments already. <laughs> So great. There's just this other slam in Cincinnati that I did one time. Uh, oh, gosh. What was it called? I don't know. Anyway, it was like the freest I ever felt. And not just when I was on stage, but even off stage. There was just this energy I was floating in. And it just I felt like completely and authentically myself in a way that like I wasn't thinking about the scores. I wasn't thinking about who else was in the room. I wasn't thinking about what they were going to do. And I wasn't thinking about the prize, which, like, the prize was the opportunity to uh, perform at this festival called the Underground, like, the Underground Festival. And it had Big Sean and Gucci Mane and all them. Mm. So I wasn't even thinking about the prize. I was just thinking about, like, I'm ready to do these poems for these people. And uh, just that energy I was floating in that day. And I did win. Uh, <clears throat> we're flex, but okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did win. But, like, just that energy I had. And that's the energy that I like. I be trying to chase ever since, like when I when I'm in a space doing slam poems. Like I want that same carefree. I'm here to do me energy. Um, what does it take to get you back to that? I don't know. I really don't know because it's like, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to step back from slam a little bit because I realized I got caught up in winning. I got caught up in like, all right. What gets me to the next thing? What makes what gets me a button video? What mm-hmm. gets me this? What gets me this? What gets us to nationals? Or what gets me to, to be the WAPS representative or like whatever in any moment? So I wanted to step away and like kind of take that off this off the uh, off the table. But I think that's one of the things like I have to get out of my own way in that regards. Like knowing that I can I can just show up in the space and do the poems and there doesn't have to be any like uh, prize attached to that in regards to like you know winning a certain thing. So I think that's what I just have to remember for myself. Um, what will get me back? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. What will get me back to slam? Like, are you just going to have to feel called in that moment? One million dollars. Nine trillion. Nine trillion. Nine trillion. You'd be like Tron on the corner. I'm back, son. I don't know. Because I, like, I miss it. I miss like being on a stage because that is my favorite thing. Like I don't, I don't really necessarily like just completely and totally love 
poetry or love writing in the same way that I love like the stage or I love sharing or speaking with people like that's really my thing and so for me I knew I knew slam or like spoken word poetry wasn't going to be forever or like even outside of a specific season I like just talking and sharing and giving myself and that gave me the chance to get on these platforms and like stretch myself and become more comfortable with speaking to people mm -hmm. so that I could then go on and do, you know, other things as an orator. You love helping people regardless of what form that takes. Exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. And that's why I was saying earlier, like, it's to think about who I am as a slam poet, to think about who I am in my career, to think about who I am as a uh, founder and executive director of a nonprofit is like my goal is to just give back and to just help people. Um, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a professional reader. I felt like I needed to say that. Um, I'm professional, like I know I like, didn't know what that meant. I just love to read, and I just want to read to, to other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just so want to read to other people, like oh, to read to I, other people. Yeah, like and so in a way, that's kind of like oh, like Audible.com oh. sort of yeah, book reading. Like, All right, yeah, like, but I mean, in a way, that's kind of what slam or poetry is, right? right? Performance poetry It's like I get to read my poems to people. You know, it just I don't want to write the stuff that I read. I wanted to just read books, like, and uh, man, so. Mayweather could have really used your help. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'll fight that nigga. No, so, yeah. please, don't, <laughs> please don't let this get out, and y'all send Mayweather my way. <laughs> I have an odd Mayweather story. Uh oh, we're oh, in Miami, and we're walking. <laughs> we're walking down. Uh, is it Ocean? Is this Ave? for a Southern Fried or something? No, you know, Erica's from. She's from Miami, so oh, I did not know. That. Okay, yeah, we're you. down there, and we're walking down towards the beach, down like. It's sort of South Beach area. And we see a bunch of people riding bicycles, like these beach cruisers. <laughs> it's like 20 or 30 people. And in the center of all of them, fucking Mayweather. Just, and I thought it was No Limit Larry. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> so I'm looking real hard. I'm like, and I, and I do the whole, yo, what up? Because I think it's my man. And he waves back and I'm like, oh shit, it's Mayweather. <laughs> And I'm like, you have a lot of people with you on bicycles. And then I was like, is that what you do with money? If I had a lot of money, I would take you all on a bike ride. <laughs> you would all be pissed off that we're this age on bike rides. Like, motherfucker, oh, yeah. you've got millions of dollars. Were they nice bikes? Were they, they were like beach, beach cruisers. cruisers. What, Debo was, what Debo stole from uh, my man in Friday. Okay. But like, were they like decorating nope. anything? No, no. Like, did he decorate? He might have bought them all for them. Like, yo, when you're done with this, you could take it home. But it was probably like a hundred dollar bike. Don't buy me no bike, blues. <laughs> and that's why I had to rethink my whole situation. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. They'd probably like, yo, this motherfucker got millions of dollars. He gonna buy. Us a we bike. out here on the fucking beach on bicycles. <laughs> we gonna set blues up like they set up my man in uh in paid in full <laughs> for the millions. Anyway, that's my Mayweather story. Yeah, that's dope. Well, that was a, that's not Meredith. No, that wasn't Meredith. That was a good story. That was, it was all right. Okay, sorry. I, all right, I, I got a question for you, Co. Because mm -mm. I was going to ask you, like, oh, Lord. no, no, I was going to ask you who your, like, favorite poets were because I wanted to get I wanted to get political and just, like, make you say names. However. Thank you. However, no, I, I'm rethinking this. If, if what truly drives you is this... Um, this desire to help people by reading or performing your words or other people's words. Who are some of the most important people in your life inspiration wise? Me nigga. I inspire oh, myself. Raise the horn on that. <laughs> the horn goes up on that. 
Hell yeah. I mean, me, nigga, I inspire myself. Ayala like Van Zant when she said that shit. Yeah, me, nigga. Let, no. Fuck is you talking about? Hey, that's nigga. real. I'm just trying to level up on myself. I flipped this me. whole table over for myself, nigga. What's um, So for me, uh, I don't know if y'all know Sarah Jakes Roberts. She's a, a pastor, actually. Um, she's T.D. Jakes' daughter. Um, she's real, like, bringing the culture to the kingdom. So she's real, like, hood. Uh, as good as you could be as T.D. Jakes' kid. Uh, <laughs> but um, her, she she really inspires me because she is both, um, she's so gifted as a speaker and she's also very adamant about how she is, how she gives back off, off of stage. And she really like the way she fell into her calling and started walking in it. It's really inspiring to me. And so she's one of the people that I'm just like, all right, like Sarah did it. You can do it, right? Like, you see how this gift, and it doesn't have to be ministry. Remember, I'm a church kid, but uh, it doesn't have to be ministry, but, like, the uh, the way that you're giving your poems, that is ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you're giving back to people in that way, and you're exposing people, and you're inspiring people and encouraging them. Um, so she's someone. Um, Mo Brown, and I, you know, I you said not, you weren't going to make me say no names, but um, that's somebody that I did want to name because she is just everywhere, quote unquote. And uh, one of the first poems that I ever heard from her and was introduced to her was her poem. Um, I think it's called Black Girl Magic. It was mm-hmm. on PBS. Um, and I learned that poem. And I like there was this slam where it was a cover slam where you did other people's work. And I did her poem and I just love it. And it's really just written on my heart. But um, just to see who she is off stage and on stage and how she's really grinding for the, um, for the art, you know, and for the both spoken word and literary, like it really, it's really inspirational, even though I don't, um, aspire to like do anything literary as, as as opposed to poetry for poet, poetry wise, like, but just seeing how her hand is in everything and just how, how she's just been carrying so many things. So, um, those are probably the two inspirations for me besides me. Oh uh, shit! Which one of my favorite like moments um, of this past year was when we went to iWhips and just to watch Blues like slam and like kill the room and like get into the freaking competition. I, I grew just, up with Blues slamming. What? Like, that's and how I just I think of him like I know Blues does poems, but I don't get to see Blues do poems like that for real. So it was just like he came okay. into the Last Chance Slam, yeah. blew it up, and then all, you know, nobody was nobody was paying attention to Blues. Next thing you know, Blues is just. <laughs> He's out of Sliding here. Sliding past everybody. Bro, that is the definition of my entire slam career. Like, yeah. most people do not pay me attention. And then all of a sudden, I'm holding up the trophy. <laughs> like, uh, ha, 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 bitches. Anyway. I feel like that's the story The Wait. story of Southern Slam. I feel like yeah. the story of Slam in the South is yeah. that exactly. Yeah. yeah. I grew up with uh, Cornrows Blues. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm not looking Shut up with your pink Floyd shirt on. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk to you like that, Jamal. I know you, you know what's going to happen. Stab people. <laughs> oh, I heard about that on the last podcast. See? Oh, it's getting well, you have to, to the stalker poem. You have to go to the podcast before Angelo's to understand. The, so, yeah, I, I don't stab people. <laughs> Not only did he attempt to murder someone, he did it at Murder Beach, a.k.a. Myrtle Beach. Beach. I cannot. It's one thing to stab a nigga on the street, but when you in Myrtle Beach... That there's, was a, there's video footage of people getting shot in Myrtle Beach. It was a different Beach. life, Coco. Mm, I understand. I was, I was young and impetuous. 
Mm. Oh, <laughs> big, young and impetuous. Words. <laughs> so, Coco, what's next for you? Um, well, I mean, obviously this nonprofit. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't got comfortable off the mic. Uh, obviously, this nonprofit stuff is next. Um, I really just want to like continue to figure out ways that I want to give back that best suit me. I don't want to really be in a box. Like mm. I want to create new ways and new things. Um, and that's one of the things for me. I know we talked about the nonprofit early, but the nonprofit is completely virtual, and there aren't very many. Uh, instances of that like where it caters to more than one space um so that in itself is trend setting um but i just want to continue to figure out ways to give back and to push the envelope like i was to teeter on that line like i was with god for a little bit uh (laughs) 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 to figure out how far i could push stuff um as far as poetry and art um like I said, writing this book that I really wanted to uh, write. And once again, that's, um, it's an inspirational memoir. And so it really is just taking the experiences that I've had in certain areas and like really inspiring people and telling people how I came out of those things. Um, And so that, and hopefully uh, slamming, if we get back to it um, this year, Um, the first Southern fried I ever saw I wasn't slamming them, but the first one I ever saw was in Louisville. I'm a Kentucky girl, so I like to go out in Louisville as well. Um, let that be my last one. And so mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, that's on the horizons. Um, and then just continue to, to like, you know, really get my footing here in Charlotte. Yeah, nice. I heard there was a slam next weekend, next Friday, in Charlotte. A word? Word. That's what I heard. And Mason Parker, a former guest, will be uh, a special guest performing there. Yeah. Which was a dope episode as well. I'm going to have to go back and listen to these. Um, yeah, you should. they're funny. Coco Flo, question. Right now, listening. So no. I say right now, but it really we're talking next Friday when this, when this drops. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but right now, there, there's, a young, there's a young black woman who's already enrolled in a PWI. Um, a little nervous about how things are going to go. Um, has already gotten to the school and noticed how much of a PWI it is, feeling a little lonely, a little out of place. Can, what, what words of wisdom would you have for that student right now? Um, I think I would say um, find your tribe. Uh, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like in whatever space that you're in, find the people who enjoy uh, the things that you enjoy, who are doing the things that you aspire to do, whether that's in whatever city you're in, whether that's people who are on campus, whether that's just people in a church home that you find in whatever city you're in, whether that's people who are back home, um, who you can stay connected to. Just make sure that you allow yourself to have some sort of support system um, to to kind of be that drive to keep you going in this. Like the college experience is not easy, um, especially for uh black people especially for black women a life isn't easy for any of us right but like that that time period you're growing so much you're learning and you're developing and really figuring out who you are like make sure you just have your people to fall back on um I really wish I would have done that more I had people around me who probably could have lended themselves in other ways um 
even if they didn't understand the college experience, they could have supported me in other ways. And I didn't necessarily take advantage of that. So I would definitely say that. Um, also, check into your school. See if they have black student unions. See if they have um, any type of black organizations. Um, also, check in whatever city you're in and see what those type of things look like. Just make sure that you're, you, like I said, just make sure you have your support system um, and that you're ready to take over. Like, <laughs> look, how I said that you're ready to take mm -hmm. over um, and, and show up as your best self. Um, which involves letting people help you when you need it. Mm. Word. The illustrious Coco Flow, y'all. Yes. <laughs> I like it when Blues does it. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so last last couple questions, Coco. Is there anything else that you'd like to promote? Me, nigga. No. Shit. Okay. <laughs> well, tell people where they can find you, Listen, follow you, and all that shit. The Coco Flow, T H E C O C O A F L O, um, on Instagram, Twitter, because I be popping on Twitter, yes. Um, and Facebook also has the Coco Flow. Um, also, um, I'll give you this, Jasmine Swanigan. That's my real name. Uh, and not my stripper name. Oh. Um, <laughs> the fact that you had to clarify that <laughs> lets us know that you might have tried that. Like, like, yo, like, was like, so what's your stripper name? Jasmine Swan. Oh, wait a minute. That's my Y'all in my business. My, yeah, so follow me on social media. Um, like, please, really, like, link up and follow me, especially if you have any type of passion for the things that I'm doing as far as the nonprofit, because I'm going to need the support, whether that's monetary, whether that's administratively, whether that's just the encouragement to keep going and moving, like, connect with me. Um, there may be a way that you can help that, you know, you're not thinking of. So just, like, stay, you know, connect with me so that I can, once that information is uh, available, Public. I can provide yeah. that, you know. Okay, and uh, the last question is... Are you ready to freestyle? Let's get it. Yes. Hey. I'm lying. Hey, I feel like Fizz is about to jump all over this shit. <laughs> oh, um, so just to let y'all know, today's beat was made by yours truly. Oh, oh shit. It's finna get real. All right. It's the first time. Usually, usually I have beats from everybody else, but I was like. Let me throw something that I did out there. All right. I hope this isn't terrible. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weak. I thought the first episode was your beat. No. With, with yeah. Blues. No. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. Jamal's beats aren't terrible, though. They're pretty good. Uh, for those who don't know and you're just tuning in and you're not a you're not a Poet Up podcast fan, you already know that Jamal does play keyboards. There's a big ass keyboard. Not one of the little keyboards you get for Christmas, but this shit is a this shit says X eight and I can see that from across the room. It's a rolling. And X means big. X means extreme eight. Not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh one, but the eighth edition of this motherfucker. No, it's not. It, it means that it has eighty-eight keys. Oh shit, all the keys. Nigga, full <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> oh shit! All right, <laughs> this, is, this is some bullshit. All right, here we go. Uh -oh. Good luck. That's what she said. <laughs> ah shit! Oh, this is mellows. Turn me up, son. <clears throat> oh. I feel like we could just do a spoken over this joint. Uh oh. It's yeah. too loud, my nigga. It's too loud. Uh, too loud, my nigga. It's too loud. It's too loud, my nigga. Too loud. 
speaker set Turn down, man, the beat was too loud Guarantee, yo, I'm a proud parent, too proud, uh Guarantee, shout out to C-Loud, CB4 Man, you ain't seen me before, oh BLD to the U to the Z, spit it frequently like a Uzi, uh, uh Got Malchi next to me, across from me be Yellowstone Warty, oh shit, bring your 40 Coco Flow, she not a shorty, she a full grown woman She about to start pursuing a non-profit Get the profit, non-stop it, can't stop it Taking off like a rocket That was cliche for me to say I'm about to pass it off to Jay Weezy Hey, he got the CRT t-shirt on And guarantee microphone, get your freestyle on yeah, before you try me, think boys I'm looking at this shirt, it's Pink Floyd The dark side of the moon, where you going? I'm coming, you don't know where I'm going You just running, I know it Listen, I'm looking at this other flower I don't know what I said, I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> It's blue shirts, flowers I saw this bullshit movie called Project Power With Jamie Foxx, it just didn't rock It could go back to the home box office I don't know, the power of Shonda I'm like Taraji, strong like Regina. I'm like Tina, looking at Ike. I'm gonna hit you first, nigga. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it always gets violent. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that escalated quickly. I'm just looking around, giving y'all these hype sounds. <laughs> we, we, we gotta get Jay Moore some therapy, yo. <laughs> the hype <sound. laughs> <I> <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh shit! Fuck! <laughs> Here we go. Wait, no, I'm a, I'm a, I got it. Sometimes, I'm, oh shit! <laughs> I can't, can't. All right, all right, all right, hold on, hold on. Sometimes my mind wonders and I'm wondering why. Sometimes I get depressed so I blaze to get high. Sometimes some crazy shit comes out the top of my mind. Sometimes I want to flow and sometimes I want to Shit. <laughs> That's not it. It went dark. I was, assuming it, I was assuming it went dark. Once again, Jay Ward is assuming the worst of, the, of whatever happens with hip hop. So, so, okay, so this, this. This is me freestyling. Um, shit. Forehead. All right. So do remember. Do remember. To uh, September. Subscribe. Yeah. If I rate really like this and review us. Yeah. <laughs> it gets cold in November. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. But please subscribe, rate, and review us. Thank you. Give us five stars. Five stars. Because if you give us four stars, we're inclined to think that you're a hater. Shout out to all of our listeners in Sarajevo, (laughs) Madagascar, (laughs) Yugoslavia, Detroit. (laughs) We got a lot of... Wilmington. uh, Kentucky State. Fucking Germany. Tennessee. Argentina. Georgia. Sarajevo. <laughs> yeah, we got some people in Georgia. Uh, Tennessee. I'm pretty sure that's Danny. And don't forget about Alaska. <laughs> Iceland. Iceland. I don't know what's happening with Jay Ward right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> Podcast, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, yeah at the Poet Up Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Finland, <laughs> Norway. Shout out oh, to Blue Moon. Shout out to Blue Moon. Shout out to Basil Hazen. Shout out to Eagle Rare, and shout out to Stella Rosa. And once again, thank you, Coco Flow, for stepping into the Poet Podcast. Coco Flow. Oh my gosh. Pull it up, pull it up.